Welcome to Diverse Tech Founders, a podcast about the one thing older than capital, people like you and me. Now here's your host, Abraham J. Williamson. You're listening to the Diverse Tech Founders podcast, the show that brings you the one thing older than capital, people just like you and me. And I'm your host, Abraham J. Williamson. Thank you for listening. Welcome, D-Tech Fun family. We have another amazing show in store for you this week. If you're a, if you're a founder and you've ever been turned down uh, because you didn't have enough revenue or you weren't developed enough yet, you didn't have 100000 or $2 million in revenue, you're going to love this episode uh, because Bria and I co-host this episode and sit down with Another friend from across the pond, Mandy Nyarko, who is the co-founder of the Startup Discovery School. You may be wondering what that is, and this show will tell you everything you need to know about that. But one more reason to listen in is that the energy that Mandy brings comes not just from her connections to the startup community in London and around the world, but from a genuine desire to help people like you and me through their incubator program, through their accelerator program to take you from idea to execution. So no matter where you are in the journey, we hope you enjoyed this week's episode. And without further ado, here it is. Hi, Mandy. How are you doing? I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking and your flexibility. I know we're still kind of working through the timing on this because we're on central time now instead of eastern and so (laughs) but but we'll we'll get it sorted and we'll work it out this shouldn't take you will be uh we'll be fine so it's not just me on it's also bria who is my co-host and my girlfriend as well so hi mandy okay hi bria how are you i'm well how are you doing i'm fine thank you i'm fine thank you thanks for joining us today yeah i'm really excited um i've seen you guys on instagram um so I, I'm just really excited to find out more about what you guys are doing and tell you more about what we are doing and see if there's any synergies. I believe you guys are looking to come to London soon. Absolutely. Regardless, our plan is to is to make it that way uh, eventually. So it would be nice to, to link up. And we're excited to kind of learn more about you as well, because this is our first, I guess, chat. But we'll get a chance to, to, to grill you on these questions a little bit to learn, to learn more. And I think there are some synergies, especially uh, given who you're trying to help. But we'll get to that when we get to the questions. Uh, if okay. if so, we'll go ahead and, and kind of dive in. And then if we have any other time afterwards, we can catch up or, or circle back to it. Definitely. Definitely. I, Let's go. Awesome. I think I want to go ahead and throw the first pitch and ask you, tell us, where did you grow up? I grew up in London. I grew up specifically in North London, um, in an area called Tottenham. Mm. Um, very, just to give you a bit of background, um, very interesting place where I actually grew up, um, has a very interesting background. Um, a, a lot of it associated with crime. Um, but for me, when you, when I was growing up, it just felt like home. It felt like the best place that you could grow up. Very community focused, um, it's it's probably the equivalent of the projects in America. Um, yeah, we call it the we call it the hood. Um, but yeah, um, that's that's where I grew up. Um, I grew up as a single child, so I have no siblings, um, and I grew up mainly with my mum as well. That's good. Uh, that's good background. Speaking of background, well, tell us about your tech background and how was it influenced by where you grew up. 
So it's, it's interesting because I don't actually have a technical background. I have more of an operational background. Mm, that's um, important. A, a, yeah, a lot of my um, a lot of my background or where I kicked off my career was in banking, um, and in banking, I spent most of my time managing teams, managing them according to sales, growing uh, different parts of uh, the divisions that I was working in, um, and just really operating the business um, and understanding all the key components, the roles that everybody had to take. Um, just before I, I, I left the bank, um, the role that I was in was coaching, so upskilling senior managers on how they roll out new strategies into their team. So mm -hmm. very operational um process driven um setting up processes looking at different hacks and driving teams to performance and i found that when i segued into tech it was a great recipe to bring in to founders who when they kick off their their journey um they're in a state of chaos so where i was able to help them bring a bit of structure um even at its infancy there you know when the ideas are just so fresh even even to have a way to structure that out um a process and a step-by-step -step process to actually, you know, test your assumptions and validate some of these key things that you want to, that are, I guess are key components to move the business forward. It really helped them to, to get early stage success because it wasn't so chaotic. That's good. So you're, you're providing that structure for them. Speaking of, of structure, that's a good segue into what brought us on this call, which <laughs> is Startup Discovery School. So why don't you just yes. tell us kind of what is Startup Discovery School and from where did this idea come? Cool. So, so Startup Discovery School is an online or virtual program that incubates ideas and accelerates early stage businesses um, with a heavy focus on traction building. So just to give you a bit of context um, into my background for the last, I guess, five years. So I've been working with startups by building business accelerators with corporates and private companies um, across different sectors. So the first program that I was working at uh, was focusing on all types of businesses, very sector agnostic. So you could be FMCG, you could be a service-based business, or you could be a tech business. But the whole idea was to focus on you as the entrepreneur and help you gain traction in your business. Um, I, I worked at that place for, for about 18 months with about 135 different startups. So every cohort had uh, 40, 40 to 45 startups um, that I would have. So the whole cohort sometimes would be about 80 to 90 startups. Um, and literally every two weeks, we'd have what we call um, accountability sessions, or I get uh, strategy sessions to really get under the hood of the business. Um, and that's where I guess for me, I really learned about, you know, when a business is a concept, and they move from concepts to in 12 months time turning over, let's say 100 to 200 grand, all the key building blocks and stumbling blocks that they face. Um, after I left that accelerator, I moved across to be the uh, accelerator program manager at a, a hardware accelerator called Central Research Laboratories. So they were focused heavily on anyone making physical products. So we were working with anyone who had, um, was, uh, we, I mean, we had a great business that was um, creating a biodegradable uh, food packaging solution. So the founder of that, the founder of that uh, particular business um done their their final year thesis at university on um 
designing designing solutions for the blind. So their whole issues or the whole thing that they were trying to solve, problem they were trying to solve was blind. Even though there's so much innovation for blind people to, to move around um, life, one of their biggest health challenges is associated with the types of food that they eat because sometimes they can't detect if it's gone off. And so um, she made a solution that basically bubbles once the food is starting to go off. So um, now they're branding that more or positioning that product more in the food waste space. But that was the type of businesses that we were working with. And we were working with businesses who would take, um, let's say, lithium-ion batteries that are dead from your laptop and recycle them to now power homes in Kenya and Barbados, um, quad bikes, etc. So really interesting propositions. And I think when I was there, I really learned the challenges that hardware tech businesses face, um, especially when it comes to fundraising, because I guess the world and venture capitalists are moving more and more away from hardware and more to software. So even though they have these great solutions, um, they really struggle in their, in their early years to gain funding. Totally. Um, yeah, and then and then I my my last accelerator, which I'm technically still at, um, it's more of a place based accelerator. So um, I'm managing director at at that program. It's called Exeter Velocities, um, and Exeter Velocities is focused on Exeter as a place um, being more sustainable around the way they use energy and the way they mobilize around the city to make it less congested. Um, and so I was brought in to basically set up the innovation team that would find solutions to address those challenges for them. And that's that's been amazing. We've had three cohorts. We've, well, we've had five cohorts. Um, but since I was there, we've had three cohorts. Um, we've supported about 35 different businesses. Um, and we've already had two acquisitions. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, really, really, really interesting. Um, one of them was like a smart rainwater system. So uh, they would capture rain um that that falls on around on and around your house and repurpose that to actually go back into your house so you can use it um mm. and the other one was yeah really interesting and the other one was um an uh, like an ai um product that basically sat on cctv systems to help cities to diagnose where there was large groups and um, respond to any like incidents or accidents that might take place or etc and cities seem to love that innovation as well that founder went on to to win like a, a half a million pound bid and then they decided to exit the business quite early so that was also really good um well they got acquired so they decided to exit and now they're doing something else at yc so that was that was a really good one as well um and all the businesses from our first cohort all bar one um decided to well went on to raise investment um as well and are, are still still alive still going so that there was great success from from exeter velocities um and the plan for them is really to roll this out into other cities that are looking at sustainability agendas um but i guess what brought me on to startup discovery school all of this is amazing all of this is great um but when i think back to how many founders actually looks like myself um I could probably count on one hand out of 200 plus startups, mm. how many of them were black. Mm. Um, and it was really, it was really interesting. And we talk about it a lot because I'm, whilst I was doing that, I was kind of doing two careers at the same time. So when I left the first accelerator, um, or even at the first accelerator, I realized that um, a lot of businesses I had helped from concept um, to let's say 200 grand turnover, 300 grand turnover had hit a brick wall and they couldn't move. Um, and basically what they needed was a cash injection. And I had, at that point, I had no concept of investment and what that looked like. So I started upskilling myself so I could help them better. 
Um, and so I found some local angel investors in the area that we were. So that part of the UK is called Brighton. And uh, in that is part of East Sussex um, and part of the Sussex area. It's it's quite wealthy. So there was quite a few angel investors, super angels in that space. And I say super angels because in the UK, a VC can give you an average, average ticket size of, let's say, 150 grand. But some of these investors were also cutting those same checks. So they're deemed as like larger angels. But um yeah, so we, we ran something, I ran something called the Hustlers Club, which was like a private um, investment readiness um, class. Um, and there was like 10 businesses and everyone needed to hustle some money in their in their bank account by like 22 weeks. Um, so we prepared them, you know, around like present presenting their proposition, making them understand what this journey was going to look like. Um, some of the terms, because some of them had never heard about this as well. Uh, so some of the legal terms that they would face, understanding like their term sheets, their shareholders agreements, etc. Um, and yeah, 50% of them actually secured investment. Average ticket size was 100K. So that that made me very excited as well and opened up a new world to me around um like the, just the startup journey, you know, and how cash is king and how important it is to understand when your ne- your next cash buffer needs to come from and where it needs to come from. Um, and so I actually went on to work with one of these angels for about three and a half years after helping them to source deals, do due diligence, and then continue helping those businesses grow once they've received investment. Um, and I also... Um, I also source deals for a fund called Aid Ventures who focus on uh, underrepresented founders in the UK. So um, Startup Discovery School, I guess, started because of two things. Firstly, not seeing much people who looked like me in the startup space, especially around tech. Um, and then secondly, not having conversations in private groups um, that I'm in with other, let's say, black VCs or, or black operators, um, just around the, the quality of deal flow that we see um, amongst the, the black founders that do come through. Um, and, you know, there's a great guy in our ecosystem. You're probably connected to him already. Um, his name's Andy Davis. He set up a group called 10 by 10 VC, which is basically um, started off as 10 people who are venture capitalists who are black, um, just talking about how we can help the culture a bit more. Um, and, you know, we've had loads of conversations, but the, the, the conversation that keeps coming through is that the deal flow is still weak. And obviously, as VCs, it's not their responsibility to upskill you on how to grow your business or how to present to them a venture backable position proposition and what we found is that it's not it's not that there's a lack of ideas or there's a lack of um potential for it to be venture backable but there's a there's almost like a lack in education as to what what is a venture backable business and how you could then position your business for scale to then be appropriate for venture backing um and so startup discovery school was set up to a educate founders on that um and to b help founders who have an idea that actually can be scalable, but because they just don't know what that scale looks like, um, you know, help them to position themselves for that and also build the right traction before they were pitching to investors. That's another thing that is like top on the list for why they're not getting invested in. Um, there's almost like a notion that's around now where like you have an idea, you might put together the product and then you put together a pitch deck and then you start pitching for investment. And like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button. This podcast is made possible by listeners just like you. So thank you for subscribing. And now back to the show. And it doesn't work like that. You know, if a VC is going to give you a hundred grand to 
a million pounds, they want to see that people want this proposition. They want to see that you've hustled. They want to see you've put in the grit and you've got some skin in the game. And I think that's the bit that's really missing right now um, as well from founders from the culture. Um, and so uh, SES, as we've sure, Startup Discovery School, is, is set up for all of that stuff, you know, to demystify the notion that black founders don't produce good quality deal flow and actually upskill them so they can do that. But it's not exclusive to black founders because... If we say that we, we when you know we don't get access to certain ecosystems, etc., um, then what sense would it be to have the, the code only being for black founders? We need to open up our network so that we have some allies who can open us up to other uh, ecosystems, etc. as well. But at least a third of our cohort is dedicated to black founders. Oh wow! Okay, so what I'm hearing, Mandy, and that was. It was quite a bit, and I'm sure everybody is going to love hearing kind of how concise you were able to cover so much ground. Uh, But it sounds like you are sort of the startup mechanic of sorts, not just in London, but wherever you go and who you touch. And speaking of going under the hood, uh, can you just, I mean, like you said, every car is different, but what is SDS's technical solution once you get under that hood? When you when when I saw that question, I was thinking, what what, what does he mean by technical solution? Um, I guess what is our is it secret sauce? Yeah, it's funny because usually when I ask that question, I say you don't have to give us a secret sauce, but since you offered. <laughs> But really, it's just when when folks come in and you put them through it, it, it could be the templates or or whatever it is that you're 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 doing. What is that thing that you are giving them that they couldn't really get anywhere else? I think it's the deeper analysis of their business. Um, when I think about programs that we've run before or programs that other founders have been on, it has been very high level. Um, we go deep, you know, we challenge you, the founder as well on, on your business proposition and your mindset. Um, and to be fair, most accelerators do not exist to do that. But a lot of the reason why most founders, um, don't move forward is because of their mindset. Um, and if you adjust your mindset and you're flexible and open to challenge, you, you might, you definitely would have heard the the terms fixed and, and, and growth mindset, et cetera. And are you coachable, et cetera. All of that stuff really, really is a huge uh, indicator as to whether or not you are ready for this journey. And um, we're not afraid to challenge that. I, I'm not afraid to have those difficult conversations hey, with the founder, you know, but at least you heard it and you can never say no one didn't, didn't coach you on it. So we're not afraid to challenge um, and get under the hood of your business and tell you if it's, if you're going in the wrong direction or not um but we also bring you experienced founders who keep it real um then we're not going to bring you founders who are like 10 15 years along the well we, we will bring you some who are 10 years along the way for aspiration uh, for inspiration etc but um we will bring you the ones who are like three years ahead of you five years ahead of you the ones that still got the scars to tell you the honest truth about the journey that you're about to face um and i think that Plus what I said uh, in the beginning, plus just a deep, uh, a deep knowledge of seeing how things work. And I always say, like, I sit at the intersection between the investor and the startup. Um, I'm not either or. Um, And so it's funny because it's like it's like watching a relationship or being a counselor in a relationship. You know, the founder has their side of the story. The investor has their side of the story. But somewhere in the middle is the truth, you know, and. They, when they meet and everyone's doing like office hours now, etc., everyone's having conversations, everyone's asking their questions, everyone's answering their questions, but there's also a truth there um, that only happens be- 
at, at, at a point where um, there's a transaction between the two. And I'm, I'm, I would say that I'm, me and the other operators sit at that truth. So we will keep it real with you as to, okay, you can have as many office hours as you like, but this is what they actually want to see from you. Um, and if you don't deliver that, you're never going to get investment. And I think being at that intersection is a strength um, because you're able to prepare founders to when they sit in front of investors um, to really sit there in a position of strength and not desperation. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things that we've been seeing a lot of. People are, are pitching once they're desperate and that needs to stop. So I'd say that's probably some of our strengths. I I absolutely love that, Mandy. And I'm actually going to go off script a bit because I would be remiss. You, one of the words you use that I feel is operative in this in the in the conversation right now is the intersection. And you were talking about you can count on one hand how many Black founders you've had in your uh-huh. 200 people cohorts throughout the time. Uh-huh. And I uh-huh. really would love to know how has SDS been customizable for black women founders and what is the approach that needs to be different in that regard? It's so funny that you say, you say this, Abri, because um, at the moment um, we ran a pilot about eight weeks ago and 90% of the founders were female. And I love they were that. Black. I love that. Um, I love that. <laughs> I love it. And it's so funny because you, you know what I, when we say the whole, um, when we say the whole, if someone looks a certain way, um, they tend to attract that person. It is the truth. It is the truth. You know, when we look at our analytics, even on our Instagram, et cetera, um, the majority of people that follow us is female. And there's no surprise to that because I'm female and I'm black. Um, And so I think that that is definitely one of the the indicators me being a black female in that space and raising that awareness and me also plugging into other other black females um and their ecosystems uh like yvonne bajella from impact x and june angelades from uh, samos investments um charmaine hayden from good soil vc when i plug into their ecosystems they tend to have black women as well following them because that's that's just what how life is you know and that's just uh, I guess consumer behavior. So exactly. um, we've not struggled really to get black females. Um, I think if anything, it's it's more around um, how do we now help? How do we into getting more tech females? Because what we've seen we get a lot of is black females in the tech enabled space. So mm. it's now looking at how do we how do we leverage and how do we use what communities do they sit in? Do the black tech females sit in? So um, I always say I don't know how I. I, I I don't even see myself as a founder of, of, of a startup, but a startup discovery school is a startup, whether I like it or not. And I am a founder, but um, I would say we are in product market fit as well. And so we're experimenting with different ecosystems to see where those women lie as well. Um, and yeah, we're having fun doing it. We're, we're, we're looking at different allies um, that are the gatekeepers to that community, but we've not really struggled to get black female founders. Okay, and in relation to the questions that I asked, getting back on script now, saving myself, um, yeah. <laughs> if you had $1 million right now, what would you do with yes. it? Oh, if I had $1 million right now, what would I do with it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would say, other than running off to some island, I would say... Um, I definitely, definitely invest in Startup Discovery School Love founders. 
um, because at the end of the day, um, if 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 we are pouring into you and preparing you for for the journey and for growth, etc., and you get to a point where you need a cash injection, um, we have to put our money where our mouth is. We have mm-hmm. to back you. We have we have to support you. And so that's exactly where that would go, definitely. Love that a ton. Uh, because one question that we like asking folks is, are you funding black founders? Because a lot of people say they want to help, but at the end of the day, you have to fund black founders, period. And it's not necessarily <laughs> black. It could be folks who come out of your startup discovery school. But if you're you know, trying to be intentional about helping folks in this space who are underrepresented, you have to come out of your pocket uh, a yes. little bit. The next question is a little bit... Uh, different than the previous ones we've we've kind of asked and it comes as I hear you discuss your approach to your work it, it does sort of have this artistic feel to it and how you look at the board uh, so mm-hmm. speaking of which artist sort of most inspires the work that you do oh gosh so I'm, <laughs> I'm a huge Beyonce fan like anyone Same. that knows me knows that I'm a huge Beyonce fan um but my reasons for um, like being obsessed with Beyonce is just her mindset and her tenacity. I remember I, I watched um, an interview of hers once and she said she wrote um, I Am Here because um, she wanted, I think every time someone tells her she can't do something, she goes over and beyond to prove that she can do it. Um, so she, that that tenacity and drive really sums me up. Like if I'm told I can't do something, I want to, I want to, build the door if the door doesn't exist i want to go over it under it through it around it to make that happen and you know knowing that there's someone else out there that just has that level of drive um from an artist perspective she definitely is the person that i would say i admire the most um i also am a beyonce stan i have been <laughs> since <laughs> since you know i could i could watch tv Way back when. <laughs> i've been dancing for a long time and she was the person i saw on the tv so i'm with you on that mandy you were talking about going over it under it around it whatever you had to do and i think that leads me to the question of what pivot has saved your business or saved your career okay I would say I've always had a desire to to do something in business. Um, I remember when I was growing up, we used to have like career days, et cetera, and they would try and help you figure out, you know, where do you think you'd want to work, et cetera. And I never really knew, but I always knew. I think we'd done an exercise and I said to them that um, I love I love helping people. Um, but I didn't, when I was looking at all the jobs they were signposting me to, helping people was like, they weren't paying well. So I was like, well, I love helping people, but this is not, this is not, you know, the numbers that I'm trying to get to. So how do I make money by helping people? Um, or how do I become financially free by helping people? And it's only when I was working um, at the Royal Bank of Scotland group and I went on secondment for my first accelerator. So um, I found out that the bank was kind of in a rebrand themselves um, after like the 2008 crash and they were sponsoring a business accelerator in Scotland that wanted to roll out across the UK and so I I decided to apply and apply for that job and for six months I was just like following the head of entrepreneurship of the bank um, until an opportunity came up and then it came up and I had to leave London and move to to Brighton and I did and so um, that was the that was the best decision I ever made because in the end 
and I was quite in a senior role in the bank at the time as well. And in the end, I left the bank to pursue entrepreneurship um, and working in accelerated health startups. And I took a 10 grand pay rise to come back to London to do that. And I didn't care because I knew that this was the way forward for me. And ever since then, my biggest successes, um, which haven't taken that long, have come from me making that decision. So that I would say that was the biggest pivot that I made. Fantastic answer there. And given that we're speaking about geography, I'm going to I'm gonna kind of collapse these two questions into one to feel free to take it in two parts. Yeah. The first one is sort of how does being from London actually give you an advantage in London's sort of burgeoning startup scene? You mentioned uh, kind of uh, where you grew up. You mentioned the, the things and people you were able to, to kind of, uh, you know, discover and put your hands on in London. But how does being from London actually give you an advantage? And then the second question is, if the local startup ecosystem could really only keep one feature that defines it, what would that feature be to distinguish London from sort of the other tech startup hubs around the world? Wow, that's a loaded question. Um, I think for the first part, which is um, how does being from London uh like an advantage I think that I've always taken the fact that I'm from London for granted so I've always worked with people um especially when I came back to the 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 London tech scene I always worked with people who weren't necessarily from London and I really saw the struggles that they had just to even get around like logistically um and connect in different ecosystems because they weren't from London I I don't I feel like everybody's the same but actually London people from London have a way about themselves and um they, when uh, when you're from London and another person from London, I think you just you just click. But um, I think just being able to navigate around the 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 city and be able to know where if someone says, okay, well, there's a X community, like an engineering community in this part of London, you, you're like, oh, well, that's up the road. Like you can just get to that. So that's like that's not a problem. When you get there, you know exactly what you're doing. You know exactly where you're going, and you just it's for where you're from. So you're just more connected. It's so weird. I can't. It's like I can't explain it without it being demonstrated to you if you've seen someone that's not from London. But I also feel like London, the London ecosystem is quite accepting to people from different backgrounds anyway, because a lot of the tech scene, um, especially like the engineering scene, um, a lot of people who are from from that uh, industry don't necessarily come from London um, or even the UK. Um, and they're still able to really like fit in and embed um, and, and, and and be part of the ecosystem. But I think my biggest advantage, I guess, would be just being able to geographically move around um, and and just know different pockets and communities and where they exist because I am from London. And if people are from London who run communities, it's more easy for you to be connected to them as well because you probably know them from this place and or someone can introduce you to them because they're a friend of a friend, etc. Um to your second point around um, how, like, what is the one thing that the London ecosystem, I guess, could keep as an advantage? Um, if you're enjoying the show so far, remember you can always enjoy the latest resources on our website at d tech.fund. That's dtech.fun. Back to the show. This is the rest. Um, I feel, I feel like. Now, like now, the London tech scene is becoming more and more cohesive. So, like, if if you want to know who is the advocate for diversity, 
it's probably very easy to know who the key allies are and advocates are for diversity. Um, and so I feel like that kind of cohesiveness and lack, like the silos that sometimes take place in other organizations and other situations don't really happen that much in London. They do happen, but if you wanted to find the pillar of the person who's the champion for this topic, etc., it's more easier. So like if you wanted to find out the VC who cares about diversity, it's Ada Ventures and it's Czech Warner, like you know that. If you wanted to find out who's who's the fund for black founders, it's Impact X, you know. So you know, you kind of know who sits where. Um like everything, because there's so many things popping up, it, you always feel like, oh, well, we could be doing this better. But I actually think that we do it quite well. When I think about when I'm in other um, cities and when I've worked with other cities and how they've really got things going on and people don't really talk to each other, I think the London tech scene do that quite well. That's really good. Um, speaking of, I guess, kind of how massive this could become, uh, this is the billion-dollar question. Uh, do you want to run a billion-dollar company <laughs> Uh, why or why not? And we ask this question not just whether or not you want to to actually physically hold a billion, a billion pounds or dollars in your in your <laughs> bank account, but because it kind of gives us insight into where you see sort of all of your activity going, and if you see yourself more as a zero to one, or or you want to keep it going as it continues to scale. Um. That uh, again, another question that made me think. So. Um, I would say naturally, because I'm a variety person, like I'm not a routine person, I think for someone to run a company that is a unicorn, they have to have a certain level of discipline and routine in them. Um, and I, I don't know if I'm there yet, but if I was given the opportunity, would I take it? Yes, because how many people can say that they had that opportunity given to them? Um, and so, yeah, I would. And if this if this um, continues and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and there are so many different ways that it can scale and grow and uh, et cetera, I'd definitely love to still be at the heart um, and the operation of it, definitely. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, well, based on this conversation, I know that you would have a ton of value to add at our app launch parties, which we were hosting before uh, the pandemic in uh, our living room, basically in Harlem. Uh, and they were phenomenal because we were able to attract, you know, not just sort of designers and creatives and founders, uh, but also aspiring angel investors and VCs as well. And, and this next question okay. is, if you were at one of our app launch parties, what's a question that you would ask in our Q&A? What is a question that I would ask in the Q&A? I would, so the v, I'll ask you a quick question before I answer that. The VCs that you had, are they um, VCs from all different backgrounds? That's a really good question. I mean, uh, we've had a couple of, of black VCs who come. Mm -hmm. Most of them have some international uh, experience, and they typically ask questions about how big the market is or how to go after a bigger market, which I think is, is sort of a VC kind of question, or at least it's a pattern that I sort of saw across our app launch parties. Uh, so I don't know if that answers your question about their background, but for the most part, the they, rooms... They're mixed. Exactly, yep. Okay, so I would say, I would actually ask, um, when was the last time they invested in um, a person of colour? Um, and I'd ask person of colour as well, 
what office hour this is a question that's been sitting heavy on my head for the last few weeks have you during covid when you've had office hours has it resulted into investment and my reason for asking that second question is because i'm seeing a lot of that happening right now but i don't know what the measurement of success is you know so all of all of these office hours that are taking place um it's great but what is the measurement of success as a founder should you be investing that time in growing your business or should you continue having office hours mm. i think that that is a question that we can all take home and study i think you can always perfect that a little bit more and honestly i love the idea of having office hours because i am one of those aspiring angel investors myself and just to be able to ask questions that i might not always feel comfortable asking in sort of a showcase format um being that i'm yes. young young on the scene that that's something I think it would be lovely. And I want to talk to you offline about that later on. But in relation to yes. DTech and DTech.fun and your company, how can we best support your company? I mean, if you have any founders who are from diverse backgrounds, um, who are struggling to really um, get their property off the ground and traction in terms of product market fit so in that they're in that weird stage where they built something it's got some early stage traction but they're really trying to build consistent growth um then it would be great for them to um find out about startup discovery school reach out to myself on instagram uh follow us on instagram um reach out to us on LinkedIn or Twitter, um, and we're just dropping a note um, through our website, uh, which is www.startupdiscoveryschool.com, because um, it would be great to see whether or not um, they'd be a great fit for the program, and we'd love to have them on to support them on that journey to meet those milestones. We love that, and that's something I definitely think that we can we can help with uh, for sure. Does it feel like we've kind of come to the close and included the final minutes of our interview already? Yeah, I think so. Come, I think that was the last question. It's come quick. <laughs> it's come very quick, uh, but you jam-packed it. The last kind of question I have for you is, if you could just describe for us, what is the most valuable thing that Startup Discovery School does for its founders or stakeholders? What would that one thing be? If you took everything else away and just left this one thing, what would that be? educating you on how to build traction before pitching to investors. Short, one liner. Short and simple. We we love that. And <laughs> it's a theme that I noticed because as you you mentioned a lot of folks on today's call who are sort of more upstream and who are writing like, you know, larger checks for more established companies, but you're really saying that with the startup discovery school, you can take somebody who just has an idea and give them everything else they need to operationalize that idea and at least get to the point where they have a shot at getting some of those checks that you talked about yes. other folks writing. And I think that is amazing and something that I've heard from a lot of founders is that they struggle even to go to quote-unquote early stage sources of money because they still don't yes. have $2 million in revenue yet or they maybe yes. haven't yet been able to stabilize 100000 a year. It doesn't mean that mm -hmm. they can or they won't. They just need some acceleration or some incubation, right? And I think it's awesome yes. what you're doing and I'm glad that it's global because we have founders all over the world who will very much be appreciative of, of all the things that you talked about today. 
Thank you. Thank you. And I, I really do like that point that you made, because even take Brie, for example, you know, you're you're looking to start your angel investing journey. You know, I'd want to make sure that I put a founder in front of you that you're like, I need to invest in this person today, not the founder almost kind of not begging you, but begging you to invest in their survival. You know, at the end of the day, you're investing in their opportunity. And so I would love to put founders in a position through the Startup Discovery School where they can they can pitch from a position of strength um, and everyone feels like they are coming to the table to add value as opposed to support a survival, if that makes sense. Mandy, this has been a pleasure for us and, and has us really thinking bigger and, and longer. I mean, who knows where this will be 10 years from now and we'll come back to this podcast and we can revisit it. We can revisit <laughs> yes. it then, if not sooner. Uh, but we've really appreciated your time as well and just your candor and honesty and insights because as you mentioned, uh, as you climbed, you realized that, you know, not everybody had those same that same ascent that you had and, and giving back is something that we're all about. So with that, we will let you go. I don't know if Bria had anything else she wanted to, to say. I did. I just wanted to tell you that we need more people like you in the world. That's all oh, I wanted to say. <laughs> That's all I wanted to say. I was going to snap during the interview, but that was unprofessional. But just know, I think you're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Ree. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for even reaching out because I love the fact that we're now, you know, really crossing over borders. Um, and, you know, hopefully when everything's kind of cooled down, we can meet each other face to face. And it's a great opportunity for us to tap into other ecosystems across the world as well. So, yeah, thank you so much for reaching out. Thank you so much, Mandy. Our Thanks for joining this week on Diverse Tech Founders with Abraham J. Williamson. If you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. You can do it right now. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us too. Thanks again.